Today's episode is a recording from our New 21 launch event, where the founders of New 21, Eduardo Nofuentes and Andrew Jones, sat down with Simone Carroll, the chief in charge of customer experience and people at catch.com.au. Simone Carroll has had a 25-year love of customer experience and culture. From a trainee in the snowy mountains to private equity in Europe, she was the winner of Australian HR Director of the Year Award in 2013, and she is also a Harvard Business School Ambassador and proud member of Chief Executive Women. It was truly an inspiring conversation about igniting change and transforming cultures. We hope you love it. That starts to inform job descriptions. It starts to inform, you know, what you guys do, prioritization, the work to be done. The next question is, what's stopping us from getting that done today? Some people, you've got to be brave to, to really want to make people feel things, right? Because some people go, well, we'd love people to love us. That's easy to say. But what does loving you mean to love and return to come back? What does loving you mean when you sell um, makeup or truck tyres? What does loving you mean? Describe that. That's gutsy to go after that because that means that people might not like you, right? And it might break your heart. You might have to do something that's uncomfortable and inconvenient. Right? But customers are people too. And it's really important. And as soon as we understand that and stop thinking them as a subset of society and start realising that, that those people are represented around the room, right? then all of a sudden we, we start making better decisions clear statements of success, clear understanding of what's blocking us, and then clear understanding of what we're doing about it, which is to get rid of the blocker. That's what management does. Mm. Thank you, Simone. So many, um, so many um, insights just on, 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 on that. Um, I was fascinating about the uh, analogy of the surfing and catching, being ready, catching the wave, you know, be ready to catch the next wave both individually and as an organization i yeah uh, that made it really made it very clear for me you talk about self-conditioning too. be ready you know for that next wave and you know be you need to be fit um, yeah. yourself um i i know that you know last i think it was last year that you went to the u.s to, yeah. to study harvard like you know um you would have think, you know, you were at the peak of your career. You had just won two years before HR director of the year, and you still went and put yourself Absolutely. under a lot of pressure for how many months outside home? I think. I would, yeah. I guess I would like for to tell how, yeah. how do you how do you condition yourself? How do you keep conditioning yourself? And how what are the tips that you can give to to others uh, about yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. You must find a way, right? And people will say to me, "Listen, I don't have the money." My company doesn't have the money. I've mm. got kids at home. Mm. You know, I'm doing something else right now, right? They'll come in. That's, you just, it's, the translation is, I couldn't be bothered, right? Mm. You've got to find a way, whatever, whatever it is. It's mm. the equivalent of saying, yeah, I'll go running next week. Mm. Or, you know, I just wanted to give myself a treat. These are excuses, mm. right? A high performance team, if you expect to be involved in a high performance team, selected for that team, not a member of that family, selected for a team that needs to produce high results, that's going for the vision. If you expect to be on that team and a part of that, a part of that world changing mission, then you will keep yourself in condition. What I learned, one of the things that I, that I have learned in trying to keep my, my head in condition, which is tough, right? It's really tough because you've got to be open to feedback yeah. real time. You've got to be, and I, I, I don't enjoy feedback. I'll be straight and vulnerable about that. I do get sensitive about things because I am high on empathy. Mm. So I do get sensitive and there's nothing wrong with kind of like, you know, crying about it in the back room or whatever in front of others, but you've got to take it. <laughs> take it. You know? Otherwise do something else. Right? <laughs> you must take it. However, you can get information about where you're at relative to where you want to be to solve the problem for the customer, not because the boss said so, not mm. because HR is rolling out a survey this month, right? Because you want to help the customer. Yeah. Right? Understand why you're doing it. And if you kind of go, mm, I don't like this, or, you know, I don't, this is not for me, then 
you then think about, really think about what's going on there. You don't love what you're doing enough. You don't love that customer enough. Mm. So let's, let's get real about what this is. It's because you don't like feedback or it's because you don't care enough about the customer mm. to give them what they need. So it's really about the, the two things and it's mental and physical. Everyone will notice if you don't get enough sleep, if you don't drink enough water, if you don't relax and recover, just like any high-performance athlete, and this is a corporate athlete setting in high-performance territory, if you do not look after yourself and if you don't keep yourself in training with the latest technique, you know, imagine getting your hair cut by a hairdresser who's still cutting from the 80s, ladies. I mean, really, if you don't do this, you, you, you can't expect to be on that high-performance team. If you don't want to do this, that's another story and that's okay but don't expect to play, you know, at the A level. So just, just, sorry, just taking that a little bit further because I, I really, it really resonates with me how your approach, your humanized approach to work and understanding that customers are external, but also internal effectively in your role as HR, you have internal customers as well as external customers and they all flow through. So this high-performing team and the humanizing of it, yeah, there's some, there's some tough, tough talking there and some feedback. And you said, you know, it's tough and you've got to be ready to take it. So are there some top tips that you can share with people that are, are going through this where they're trying to bring others into that? And very often we find ourselves in teams where people say yes, but don't actually know how to go about that conditioning and preparation and taking the feedback in the right way. So what are your top tips around that? Okay, so it's a combination of, of taking feedback and giving feedback, right? So I encourage people to, to give feedback, right? Which means that I will, I'm conscious to let people give it to me however they're going to give it to me, right? And most people, I would say, don't give feedback well, but that's okay. So if you're a leader, though, you encourage to people to give you feedback however they, you know, they get it. Mm -hmm. And you take it on board. And you choose, because it's about you and your customer and your, your colleagues, right? So you choose what you take on, but make sure you, you get it, right? So don't let the world shape you. Let the vision and purpose drive you, right? So just, so first of all is when you're the leader, let people, encourage people to give it to you, whatever, however it feels. <clears throat> if you're working on improving the way that you give feedback, my suggestion is focus on action, not characteristics. Mm. Okay. So it's, I'd like you to try doing this and see, and see if that gives you a better result as opposed to, you know, she's lazy, mm. right? Or um, she doesn't get it. You know, or, you know, you, you frustrate me when you say it like this. I don't understand you, mm. right? I'd like you to try this. When you do this, it works. So focus on action, not things that can be misconstrued as somebody's character. When you give feedback about somebody who's their innate qualities, you hurt people, right? And you stop them asking for feedback. As a result of that, that leads to low performance in the team. So... It's almost like it's coming to me where you were saying about um, the, the individual conditioning. It's yeah. almost you force yourself to be uncomfortable, right? Like you could say, I'm riding the wave. I'm, you know, top of my game. I don't need to learn. But what you're doing is, is making yourself feel uncomfortable. Say, no, I, I still can learn more. Yes. I don't know. And it's the same with the team. You know, we still, if there's that level of uncomfortability with a team that is actually quite healthy because then, then you can... Um, you know, evolve and grow from there. So this is sort of the, 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 the idea that is coming in my mind. I don't, I don't know if that's... Yeah, no, you're spot on. You're spot on. So and this is what, the way that you can, it makes sense to, to me to, is think of it as it's just getting on the scales. It hurts, right? You might go cry in the back room. But you've got to, sometimes you, if, you, if you feel like you need a bit of a check-in because your pants don't fit anymore, maybe get on the scales just to double check, right? Yeah. Um, you're, you know, you, you, does my bum look big in this? All right, get ready for it. Just, you know, um, uh, just seek real feedback. Seek real feedback, yeah. and know that, it, and that the intention is is love, right? So if you create a world around you, and the you know, the reason why I can still moving with move with confidence, yeah. though sometimes my feelings might get hurt, right? 
because I should have done something differently, really. Right? Mm. And I know that. But the reason why I can move with confidence and show, show my face again is because I create a world around me full of positive intention, right? Is that I invite people in with love, not fear. And I accept it with gratitude, what they give me, however they give it to me. Now, people are not always going to take what you say with that. That's the other side of it, is that, that I have to, co I've coached and counseled many of people who've tried giving feedback and it did, wasn't received very well. And that's, that's the downside of this, right? But don't let that stop you. Just be very clear on the action and always come in with equal amounts of challenge and support. The other big rule with feedback is do not challenge someone unless you're prepared to support them. And that's a real thing I push with my team. There's a question in here, Simone, from Isaac about do we need to question the validity or how informed the person giving the feedback is? Absolutely. And, and this is why it, it, when, when someone's young and starting out, when I was a, a trainee, you know, I was very lucky that I had very learned people around me. And we underestimate how um, uh, uh, vulnerable trainees and kids coming to work are. You know, start out at work, I was 17 years old. I'm a baby still, right? So be careful with the, with the kids, what you say to them. Because that will, I've told a story today, if that shaped me, right? Mm. If that wasn't, if I wasn't looked after, if my dad didn't guide me, if my first boss, Melissa Van Heerwarden, didn't shape me through that traineeship that I did, I wouldn't be who I am today, I'm telling you that. So, so with the young ones, it's different. When you, when you, as you start to get older, though, to each other, you do, you do have a responsibility to try to get that right. In that middle section, often, so you, where, where someone, people give poor leadership, a poor, sorry, poor feedback, you could question their leadership. You know, if they're, if they're coming, you'll hear it. If they're talking about the person and not the idea, if they're talking about the character and not the action. Right. I want to touch um, um, on the, I know there's a, a lot of people in culture, HR practitioners that follow the work that we do as well. Um, as cultural transformation. I want to hear a bit more about how you went from industrial relationships, gray sort of, you know, uh, yeah. roles to talk about color and love as you're mm -hmm. talking today. Mm -hmm. And what's, what was that transition and what happened, um, I guess, for you to, to take, yeah. I guess? Yeah. I, I wasn't initially satisfied that HR was going to be my destiny, though I was being pushed down that path by everyone I spoke to. So I, I went into, within HR, Martin knows this, there's no such thing as HR. There are, there are a set of specialisations and one of them is industrial relations. HR people on the line will, will know that. A HR director conducts all of these, these specialisations. So I, I took on industrial relations because it was how I would learn employment law. And I thought, well, if I could learn the rules, I might be able to bend them or break them. So I might be able to lobby to change them if they don't work. So I thought, I've got to understand how this world of work works. So that's why I was attracted to industrial relations. And it was a really, really great grounding um, in, in understanding how work works and understanding how, um, how organisations constrain themselves and, and governments constrain organisational growth. So that was good. Um, but what happened during the traineeship, it was actually at the Snowy Hydro. It was a big iconic part of Australian history of the, of the home of multiculturalism actually it was developed in the fifties. Mm. And it, it employed people like um, um, kindergarten teachers and school teachers It employed townships. And, and I had to lay off a lot of those people and do my groceries with them at night time. And, and so living in a small town in Cooma and Talbingo and Cancoban, for those who know the Snowy Mountains, um, you couldn't just lay someone off and forget about it that night because mm. you've you got to go see their wife, you know, at, at soccer or as I did have to um, and do groceries, seeing the kids. So you, you don't get away with saying that this was somebody else's decision. You've got to take accountability mm. and be very thoughtful. And I realised I, I wanted to remember everybody's names. And I thought if I have to do, if I've got to do this, I'll, I'll do it with empathy. It developed empathy and it hurt you know, it's really hurt doing this. And it, it, it changed me. I got to about, I remember getting to, to 438 redundancies face-to-face. -face. And 
having you know people to go and I'd get I'd get sad even thinking about it today mm. right and I realized that I was on the wrong end of strategy as much as I loved people and changing the world I was not going to do this for the rest of my life is clean up somebody else's mess and that's what drives me because you didn't prepare as a management team three to five years ago for what was coming around the corner we have to deal with this and that's what redundancy is. It's the failure to prepare the team. So I come into an organisation at the point where the business needs to get ready for the future. I, wanted, I was determined to start being able to see around corners. I got interested in economics. I got interested in business strategy. I got interested in, in, in commercial growth. How can we make enough money that we could reinvest in our people such that they have a future? Mm. How could we, could we ever do that? Is it even possible? And that's sort of, that informed my mission. So there's the naive sort of schoolgirl that, that says, <clears throat> what if I could bring enthusiasm in? <clears throat> Excuse me, everyone. Coughing down the, the line. <clears throat> what if I could bring enthusiasm into the workplace, right? <clears throat> so I'll, just, I'll take a glass of water. To um, a sense of what my job is, right? So from an idea to a purpose a true purpose. That was about <clears throat> being able to see the future and prepare the team for whatever might, may eventuate such that they have a future. And in the event that we must let people go, and that's okay, because we truly don't need this anymore. People are not surprised. They're prepared. And yeah. they're prepared to take a role somewhere else, job ready, yeah. not redundant in the human sense. Yeah. There is no, you, you never want to create a human redundant yeah. redundancy. And this is, this is really um, resonating with us because we very much are about people and preparing them with the right skill sets, the right mindsets for, yeah. for the future. And particularly within working around innovation, you know, that is exactly the skill for being able to see around corners, see, see ahead and be ready, not hit by surprise. And I, I often talk that actually it's not, it's not these big disruptive events that, uh, affect the organization it was already what was going on and typically it's latency and complacency complacency well what we're doing is fine and it's always going to be like this and latency well I can wait like what you were saying earlier I can wait we can do that later we can get ready later well no it's now because you absolutely. never know when the next wave is going to come along absolutely and there are reasons for this so we think we love to blame the CEO or the board you know we love to blame someone for this when often this stuff happens a long time ago right also what happens is is, is industrial structures that are in place mm. we're not set up to be agile okay mm. which is why you know what is what is this time teaching us in in COVID and working from home and all this that's going on what is it really teaching us it's teaching, us, it's teaching us about, again, to, to remind ourselves what people really need, what do customers really want. Again, people, customers, employees, it's the same thing. Right? Mm. So what do people need to be able to give other people things they need right? and feel good about themselves, mm. right? Everyone, people just want to feel good and get things they, they need and have a great life. What do they need? Do they need to work in an industrial setting, line by line? Right. The way that we were set out in, in mills, all yeah. coming together in and out at the same time and stuff like Because we did that. That's, that's what has to happen, you know, in, when you're doing mass manufacturing. Some companies may need to do that. Other companies don't necessarily need to do that. This is just an opportunity to, to think about that, you know. Does the customer still need what we're producing? Or does this, has this had the world, is this world stopping and thinking differently, you know, about what it needs? Has, have our priorities changed in terms of humanity? Now, everyone needs to think about this. We, this is our opportunity to think about this as individuals in terms of our health and well-being and our family. It's our opportunity as a company and it's an opportunity as a country to think about this. Tax reform. Right. Where's growth going to come from? Those that are calling in from, from overseas, you know, can, can, you know, you could look at Australia and sort of say, well, you know, you're a, long, you're a long way away. You should really be optimising this situation to, to be able to offshore things that you can produce, mm. um, you know, in relation to innovation and agility and, and, and medicine and things that, 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 um, that are not necessarily coming out of our ground mm. you know, in terms of, you know, where we've traditionally relied on for, you know, for GDP growth. 
And it's the same with businesses as you've traditionally relied on. I worked for, for census. We traditionally relied on print, mm -hmm. the yellow pages phone book, getting them. And I came in at the time we were getting them to try and convince them to put 10% of an R and D budget into digital. <laughs> wow. Right. But print's not dead. It was a cash cow for Telstra. Eduardo knows all these sort of backstory as well. It's the same. It's the same thing. The CEO is a, you've got an average tenure of, of three to five years, and a board or, or investors who are looking for a return on investment based on a set of metrics, right? That were right for a time. That's not to say that metrics are wrong, but metrics need to be informed by vision. The metrics then that we should absolutely agree on what those top metrics are. You need them to run your business, but make sure they're the right ones and then set the rest of your business to that. Thank you. Thank you, Simona. It's, it's um, interesting that in the four events, we haven't, we, we barely touched the COVID situation. I think the four guests that we have, I, I think, share that vision beyond what is currently happening and we probably have only mentioned COVID a couple of times and at the end of, of the interviews of the chats. Um, mm -hmm. I love the, the way you just position it as a much bigger thing than not, you know, the day-to-day -day that companies or people might be experiencing right now. But, but there is a reality. So what do you think is going to happen? There's, there's industries, there's companies that are going to be doing really well, others that are not. What's going to happen to all of us from a work point of view? What's your take on, on what COVID can do um, in the market for companies, for people? Yeah, well, hope, hopefully, I, I hope that we, that we stop and reflect. So you're going to have some industries that are working very hard right now, harder than they've ever worked. So retail is working very hard to push into e-commerce. Yeah. And I know that you'll, you'll see that there's, there's through the work that, that you do as a consulting firm and, and, and people dialing in, we'll, we'll see where those, those needs are today. Yeah. So the needs of tomorrow um, will be you know, informed by the reflections that people are having at this time and it's different for different industries. So, um, you know, the aged age care sector will be thinking about um, well-being and, and, and again, back to hum humanity and ethics. And, and I think there's a lot of kids that are really going to be caring about their parents' well-being after all of this. And, you know, our expectations of what aged care is is going to be fundamentally different. I think people in the education sector are going to be thinking about um, the threat of online like they've never thought about before in new and creative ways. And rather than worrying about the threat, is they're just going to happen? Not, they'll, they'll, they'll just have a strategy that incorporates online. Right? And it it's, comes back again to the fundamental fundamentals of, of education and what good education looks like. We can't muck around anymore. We need to train our people for the future so they make great redundancy. So I hope the education sector sets up. And health, more than ever, people value on health and accessibility of, of health. People need to, you know, that, that industry will be thinking about that. And, we, and here we are as citizens making our choice on, on who we intend to engage with. Are we going to, who are we going to vote for? Who are we going to give our money to? Mm. Right? And what kind of transparency will we expect in, in the choices that we make? on our sort of everyday individual level about where we put our power. When we, when we have, just building on that a bit further, when we have these sort of global catalysts for change, if you like, that it suddenly, suddenly resonates with everyone. And I've, I've been through quite a few and I've, I've often said, look, it's, it's about every 10 years. You know, if you map back, it's every 10 to 15 years, there is something quite pivotal that changes and realigns, but the, for some organizations, this means a, a very rapid transformation now, like you were just mm -hmm. saying that retail, for example, you know, where you currently are, you know, you know, delivery is an essential service. Um, so how do you, how do you prepare a team that are going through such a rapid change and transformation? How do you support them and with well-being, but also that skills and that, that opening their minds as well? Yeah, I'd say so. Be careful to about how many people you listen to, like me, or how many books you're reading at this point, and sort of get back to 
um, how it feels to be human and um, remind yourself wherever you come from in the world and, and whichever industry you work in, um, <clears throat> what you need to perform. What are, what are the conditions for human performance? And it has comes down to things like psychological safety. We're talking about Maslow's hierarchy sort of stuff, right? Mm. Um, so the, the preparedness is, is just making sure that, that our people are in good shape, you know, that they have what they need to feel that they're psychologically safe at work. And don't feel overburdened with the need to solve other people's problems. And, and I say that as a CEO, you know, for, for CEOs and for, um, for HR people who tend to take on, and, and the managers, we tend to take on other people's problems as though we're responsible for their lives. What we've got to do is provide an environment for people to um, find uh, what they need to be great, right? So all we can do is provide a supporting and nurturing environment for, for people to perform if you're a leader at work. Our job is not to hire um, a person. Our job is to, to build a great team, right? We worry, oh, God, is this person doing their job? Are they good enough? You know, will they make it through? So worry about the individuals, worry about the team. Right? A great team will carry an individual who's having a hard time, right? who doesn't have this skill set, needs to work on it. Just focus on the team, not the individual, and, you, and we'll get through. And it's the same. Focus on your family, not yourself. All right, focus, focus on your, part, you know, your relationship, not yourself. Focus on the community, not your company. Right. It sounds like valuable lessons learned, right, Simone? I've got a question here from Maria asking about a valuable lesson you've learned from leadership and mentoring others. Is there anything further to that you just talked about? Yeah, there is. So um, one of the things I've done, the, another constant throughout my career is, has been coaching, like all, all the way through. Um, I, have, I, I wouldn't, I'd love to think that, that all leaders are coaches as well. That's just something that I've done. And I've always been in that office of the, the CEO. And one thing I would say is I, I enjoy coaching people at all levels because they're actually the same. And I promise you this, that whether you're the receptionist or you're the CEO, you have the same reactions to stress. As much as we present a good front, you know, people like me at a town hall or on a, on a webinar, we have exactly the same feelings, you know, is the person ladling soup at the soup kitchen, right? So we all need to be validated. We all need to have a sense of hope and a sense of what our future could be. We all yearn to understand our full potential, right? And we all need help finding it. So just remember these things as a leader, particularly, you know, the, the faster the world feels like it's moving right now, it's actually not, right? It's not actually, it's, it's actually slowing down if we let it, right? And come back to ourselves. we come back to our purpose. Um, all that, that long list of things that you feel like is building up right now because you can't get into the office, this is actually forcing you to prioritise because mm -hmm. you didn't learn it the first time. You were doing too much. That's what this says. Beautiful. Um, we have nearly got Simon for an hour now. So um, this is your time. If you haven't put some questions on the Q and A, uh, we probably have a couple more questions here. But please feel free to uh, put your questions on the Q and A. Are there any questions, Martin? Um, yeah, there's, there's a couple more in here, and there's two in particular that are related to purpose and vision, but I'm going to ask them separately because they've got a different flavour from each other. One is from Damon. So it's about purpose statements. And a question is, do you find that a lot of purpose statements fall more into the category of a vague vision and that organisations don't really define their purpose properly? Yeah. And if they do, how do we approach that? Yeah, thanks, Damon. I'd say um, in, most, in most cases, it's because we're too distant from... Um, what the problem feels like, if that makes sense, is big companies tend to do it because there's so many people and we focus on um, internal alignment and less on the customer and, 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 and reminding people about the problem we're trying to solve. Right? So what, as soon as you get, whether you're a big or a small company, the key to getting clarity around your vision is that reminder 
of where the customer is at right now or your potential target market, but what, what is it that we're really trying to solve? And if they still don't get it, put yourself in their shoes. Right? So literally go out on the road with the sales rep and, and, and listen, listen to what's going on. Call Jack in the contact centre to hear the complaints. Um, just sit down with people who are your potential customers who don't want to do business with you right now and listen. Don't sell. You don't get to sell until you understand. Yeah. And then from there, write your statement. Nice. And then the other is more about vision. So um, this is from Veronica. Yeah. If the key blocker to a customer first vision and transforming a culture to become a high-performing creative one comes from the top, how would you navigate that to bring them on board with the vision? Uh, can you help me understand the question, Martine? So that's sort of... Yeah. I think it's, I think it's suggesting that um, blockers to transforming culture can come from the top, whether that's board, C-level, whatever it might be. So how do you navigate that senior level to bring them oh, on board? Yeah, this old chestnut. All right, I love this. Simone is very good at navigating that, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look... It's a, it's a big loaded question, right? And it's probably the number one question that I get if I ever speak at anything. So this is the old, I hear what you're saying, Simone, but you don't understand what I'm dealing with. It's <laughs> 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 another one, which is, he doesn't get it, she doesn't get it, they won't work together. Okay, right. So this is like every organisation that gets over 500 people, right? <laughs> Sometimes you go through these magic phases if you're lucky and it all lines up, you know, like Newton's cradle and all the people are lining up. You put all your effort in and then this full momentum, you know, swings and all that stuff. It, it, um, most of the time it doesn't. It's true. I just Because I, I follow your career since, since the, yeah. the census days and you've been able to do that. You've been able to change and transform organisations that are very different. You know, digital organizations like Ariel, more traditional organisations like, you know, vicinity centres. Mm -hmm. so, how? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Veronica. <laughs> what am I doing? No, I love it. And people what wondering you, what I'm doing. How do you do it? <laughs> yeah, well, I've given you, you know, I've given you guys the secret is that um, it's, this is about humanity. Don't tell people that they think you're crazy, right? I'm telling you guys this, right? Just tell them, talk to them about, okay, why they're different, you know, you know, why are people are special and different and their ability to sell unique products and all those sorts of things. Okay. The proposition is unique. That should be unique, but humans are not humans are not. As I said, the CEO and the receptionist, they're kind of the same person. There's some cultural differences that we need to understand. And there's some unconscious bias. That's a whole different webinar, right? There's the things that we impose on other people, but get underneath all that. We're exactly the same people. Now, what's happening with those leaders that aren't necessarily paying attention is they're incentivized to do something else. They're either um, they're getting paid based on an outcome that's you know in their STI or their LTI or however they're incentivized or their invest or their equity program that says that if they hit this in top line growth right at this operating margin and EBITDA that this is how they're going to cash out right. What are they thinking about? They're thinking about themselves. They're thinking, that they're thinking about themselves. They're not, this is a company success, high performance team, company, team, then individual, not me and my conditions for success. One, one you can hear it favorite, in an interview. What was one, that? One of my favorite quotes, uh, Simone, is um, give a manager a numerical target and they'll achieve it even if they have to destroy the company in its way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, and you're not going to change them. Yeah. The, the problem is for the majority of the people who, who sit kind of, you know, and I mean hierarchically, mm. not in the humanity sense, under right, these people, is we have to live with the consequences of this fixation on a short-term result. Mm. And this is where we need to, I think, I think that, that leaders who get this, the rare CEOs, and I'm fortunate enough to work with them, right? And that's who I seek out. That's actually the trick to what I do is I look for the CEOs and investors who think long-term about yeah. this stuff, right? And I do not compromise. As soon as that short-term thinking kicks in, you know, I'm either out or 
I do something about it, right? As a, as a HR person, I go straight through them. I coach. This is why I hold on to these skills because I've got to influence people. I do things like change incentive schemes. So we yeah. get rewarded for long-term that's linked to customer success as well as shareholder, shareholder returns, right? So there's a construct that's going on in the background which you can't fight. So don't let it break your heart. If you can't fight it, if you're set up to fail, move on. And that's the only answer I have. Because I'm telling you, there are so many investors right now looking for smart people who get it, right? And those people, as I say, we got to get out on the ocean together and there is a wave coming of customers who want different things in every single industry. And Australia needs more of that if it wants to be competitive. It needs to think like that. That could be Australia's competitive advantage if we all get on the same page, but government does with us. That's our opportunity. Right. I, but I, I would say, don't worry about it. Try and move on. <laughs> th thanks for that. I love you talk about changing the, um, I think you, you, you use the word environment in, in previous events, all the guests have used the, the word system. So change the system. Like as a leader, as a nature practitioner, you, you've got the ability to tweak the things in the system that are going to bring that long-term vision, that long-term purpose. I think a few questions came, came through, Martin, um, just as we were talking on Yeah, this. I've got one more here from Jenny, who probably faces similar to you, Simone, in she's been called by a recruiter as a hybrid candidate. So taking that as a compliment, but looking for your advice on how to answer a question of what you're looking for when it's not about a role, it's more about the people and it's about impact as what matters. Yeah, um, what I would say is I think it's almost time that people like us, Jenny, need to stick together and start to change the definition of leadership, you know, and success. Um, I've, I struggle with it with the same um, problem. But I also think that's why I end up finding myself in roles that are unique to me, where, where my purpose and the customer's name matches. I would advise you to look for um, customers who you can be obsessed about, right? Because you've, you've got to almost people, the risk, the problem with, with being a hybrid, and I'm, I promise you in 10 years time or in the, in the future, we'll look back and laugh at this stuff, right? <clears throat> the, people like you and I, Jenny, and, and change agents are out there. We're just people who help companies set out to achieve what they're trying to achieve, right? And we probably can do a number of different things. The question the recruiter needs to be asking is, is what can you offer this organisation at this time? Specifically, what can you do? What do you need to see for us to be able to realise that full talent? Do you want to look at our annual report? Do you need to see, um, do you need to see our strategy? You know, and ask for the things you need to see so you can have a coherent conversation about what you're prepared to offer. And I would say take a risk as well. Take it, be bolshy, be really clear. If you know you can do it, right, then say I can do this. Don't say more than that, right? I can do a bunch of things. Eduardo said that there's a whole bunch of things. At this time, when I look around the market, my obsession is trying to make catch in .com.au, an amazing e-commerce, an Australian e-commerce organisation which is a viable alternative for Australian shoppers for, for Amazon, right? My mission is to make, with my colleagues, is to find the best people and take, get the very best out of people in, this, in a light and lean company, you know, so we, so we can give the most we possibly can to our, our consumers and to give Australian consumers the best possible online experience in this country. That's my mission, right? That's what gets me out of work in the morning. Jenny, that's what you sell. Find something that you, can, that you can sell really hard, right? And if you can't find that, accept that you might have to do something that's in a box because, because they, you don't have the leverage in that case. You don't have the offer, they do. So you have to give more because you're not clear on what you want. So then the extension of that is from Ali, how do you find or identify these people, the future thinkers? Well, it's a little bit of what we're doing now. And I love what you guys are doing now. You're, you're making the time to dial into a webcast. I cannot tell you how busy I am right now. I'm two months into a new role, right? I love Eduardo, but not that much almost, right? <laughs> okay. So when he said, can you do this? I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right. 
I, I, yeah, I love Eduardo a lot. When you think about it, no, this is for our community. Why am I doing this? Right? This has nothing to do with what I want people to think about me. Right? Get back to the, the beginning of this. It's not about the definition of myself. It's this, this country, this community, our world right now needs to solve problems. And we need to gather right, as a community. So find ways to gather together, whether it's through education, right? Find excuses to get together with great people who believe in making the world a better place in your, on your terms, right? The world needs that and stick together. We cannot do it alone. So find excuses. This is my very great excuse to connect with everybody who is dialing in, right? And I hope after this, I've, you know, that, that people would give me feedback if something I've said triggered a thought or that you would challenge me on and give me some feedback, right? Because this is how we build community. There's a lot of feedback coming, coming through, um, Simone. Um, beautiful comments from uh, a lot of people in, in the chat saying how inspiring um, you have been this hour. I don't know if there's one more question, Martin, there or... Well, I just, I just want to bring in a question, uh, Simone, and I said I would raise it if it doesn't come up. You have a particularly unique way of understanding people and building empathy around hiring or um, ma managing what they need to do. So mm -hmm. tell, us, tell us that story because it's quite impressive the lengths that you put yourself through. Oh, okay. Okay. So... This, this is something that, that back to the early days, the Snowy Hydro taught me, you know, as a, as a starting out as a 17-year-old. So um, is that if, if you want to lead the work, you've got to do the work yourself, right? So you, you may not be committing to that job with a title, but you've got to do it, right? So um, I, I had to do um, six months on a help desk learning how to troubleshoot um, um, computer issues and, and, and with, no, with no help figuring out how to do that initially. Um, we were taught, so in being HR, HR people very much have to learn how to do the job. So we, I, I had to get a forklift ticket. I needed to get a certificate in, in snow um, and alpine rescue, snow and ice driving, um, diving, uh, no, diving out of a helicopter, um, helicopter rescue from heights. Um, and from there, I just thought that's what work HR was. I honestly did. I thought HR was, is you go and learn how to do the job, you build a training program. <laughs> you create, legis not legislation, you create policy around that to keep people healthy and safe in the process of doing it. I thought that's what HR was, right? Then I came to the city, finally, you know, the Paris Eds of Collins Street, I go and sit in this office. I went to Kraft Foods. I remember I didn't stay there for long. I did a contract. Look, because here we are in Port Melbourne and all the, all the work's happening out in the manufacturing plant. Oh, my gosh. And the first thing I did is go out there and I want to stand on the manufacturing line and I thought I was absolutely crazy. But now, you know, you know, I guess the world's starting to change and we're realising that that's about having empathy for the people we deal with. This, this is it. And that, that's beautiful because um, we, often, we often say empathy is a skill set. It's not a gene set. You know, it's nurtured, totally. in, it's nurtured in or nurtured out and you can totally. nurture it back in and learn it. And you, you've put it through. What people might not know, because I've seen a comment that says hashtag adrenaline junkie. What people <laughs> might not know is you're petrified of heights, aren't you, <laughs> Completely petrified. I'm constantly putting myself in situations that make me feel uncomfortable. Those of you who know um, Nigel Dalton, like I'm, I'm also afraid of speaking in public. I do get really nervous. and people, I'm an introvert and, and people don't understand that because they, they see me present. But... Um, I'm so passionate about what I do. I'll put myself in, in public situations, rarely, but I do. And, um, you know, one of them, I love to sing, but I was always afraid. I was always afraid of standing in front of people. I was in the Australian Girls Choir when I was younger. And Nigel Dalton heard about this once and forced me. He said, well, if you're a leader, you need to do what makes you feel uncomfortable. And he forced me to, to get in a, a band and, and start a band at REA Group, um, which continued on. It was a great lesson in, in leadership. Um, I, I get afraid of, um, of, of looking foolish. I wasn't a, I wasn't a smart um, student. You know, I've, I have a smarts about me, but I, I wasn't great, you know, in an academic sense at school. When I was younger, I had vision problems and, and some learning difficulties. 
and um, so you know, I, I, but I would sort of keep I keep putting myself in an education situation to become comfortable with learning things that are new. Um, that's why I play the ukulele at the moment. I told my team, you know, because I I want to keep learning. It's it's conditioning, right? It's doing. You have to find things that make you uncomfortable, and you do that. And just to sort of get back to a question that, that someone else raised before about difficult people and difficult companies, I mean, that is transformation. That's the role of management. We wouldn't exist if it wasn't difficult. This is, this is what I'm conditioning for. Um, there's a situation, and, and hopefully, maybe he's on the phone, but I was dealing with, with someone, talking to somebody um, recently, and, it, and it's about organisational change. We come across these knots. You know, managers in transformation, we deal with these knotted up companies. Nothing's quite right. We know the solution is a better operating model or, or, or aligned values or behaviours. But we come across these big knots and they're in front of us and we work around it. We bring people in to work around it. We change structures to work around it. We will work ourselves into knots to work around an organisational issue, right? And we wonder why business is complicated because we didn't hit the knot head on. Our role is to pull that knot apart, to make the complex simple, right? That's what we do. That's management. If you can do that and that translates to the customer proposition, you win. That's what we do. That's why, this is why you make, you know, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I know it's an old saying, but you've got to keep doing it. If you're not doing it to yourself, um, you'll guarantee you'll make other people uncomfortable anyway. <laughs> this is also a theme that's been going out through all of these workshops. So, you know, being being trapped in your own mental mental laneways that you get stuck in the rut of doing these things and put yourself out there explore new things learn new things experience new things and understanding and doing all of that with love love and empathy it's it's there's, there's totally. a theme that's been coming through and and forget that age thing i talk about trainee i guess i'm still a trainee right that's how i started out it gave me good discipline but the discipline of learning is is, is should carry on the longer you want to be relevant in your career the the longer you must must learn and learn from everyone learn from other people learn to listen right i'm doing a lot of talking in this because of the nature of the format right but, but I, I, I spend my days listening to people's complaints and their insights and lots of stuff. It teaches me how the organisation works and the problems to be solved. Right? So, so this is just get really, really uncomfortable. And, and, um, and because that's what, if it was easy, then other people would be doing that, providing that solution for the customer. Mm. Right? So, so you're, you're in the business of solving problems. That's what you do. If you can't have a difficult conversation with your boss, with your colleague or your direct reports, then you're not meant for this. You're just not, and that's okay. But that you're not meant for this large, complicated organisational change that happens at speed. That's not what, that's not for you. Right, but get I'll, ready, yeah. I don't think many people will agree with, or will, um, would have seen, I guess, that you are struggle with speaking in public. Um, <laughs> You are a beautiful storyteller. I think Colin, Colin made a comment on the chat saying that you were a poet. So I think a lot of your stories came, came that way today. Um, is there any more questions? I'm conscious about time. Um, yeah, look, I think that having a look at some of those questions, I think that you've given a good flavour to things that people have asked. So hopefully, um, whilst it not, might not have been the specific question that's answered, I think that you've given good flavour to questions that have asked in there. So. So maybe maybe if we start wrapping up with some you know, Andrew Martin, um, you know, you know, I guess your last last minute um, thoughts uh, about today. Yeah, well, another amazing uh, story and so much learnings and takeaways. So you know, understanding where your customer is right now and use empathy to understand what the real problem is for them, the real job to be done, and how that isn't just uh, the CEO's role or the head of innovation, it's, it's everyone's role. The fact that you just embody the, the true sense of uh, being a people's people person, and having, having the fact that, well, I often say with organizations that, that it's people that innovate, not companies. Mm. So you've got to understand how people work, mm. you know, your customers and your internal. 
And, and I always talk to the HR team and say, you are the people people. You are the engine for everything that comes from this. And you've, you've focused on that beautifully and explained that and so many tips and takeaways from that today. And the fact that if you are a leader, then you've got to be uncomfortable because you know, that's why you're there is, is a really good uh, place to focus on that, that untangling the knots is, is absolute gold. So thank you. Oh. It's been a great, great conversation. Thank you, Andrew. I love sharing. And I, I kind of, I'm, I'm feeling the energy from the, from the people on the line. I wish I could see everybody, but thank you so much for being here. It's been great, Simone. We've had lots of comments, lots, lots of encouragement um, coming in now. Great session, great job. Yeah, keep, keep putting them. Keep, Simone can read them, so keep putting your comments on the, on the chat. From my point of view, I loved every minute of, of this last, last event lots of uh, takeaways from, you know, again, working on the system from the, the surf analogy and being conditioned and being ready from um, the story, beautiful storytelling. Um, and I guess, um, you know, how you brought this to an end and saying that it's all about love mm -hmm. and it's all about hope, mm -hmm. which is, you know, in these times is, um, you know, it's a bit, you know, it's more relevant than, than ever. It's, and it's what we want to do with Near 21. Or that's what we want to bring to, sounds a bit cheesy, but bring that love and this hope to the organizations that, that we work with and build that community at the same time, as you said. So I thank you so much. I know how busy you are and taking an hour and a half of your day. I know it was a big ask, but you know, thank you so much for doing it. I love you too, Simone. So thank Aww. you so much for being here. This is the best thing I could possibly do. Um, with, with my day. I, I really, I've loved every minute and, and um, I'm, I feel close to this, this community, you know, that, that have joined today. So thank you so much everyone for being here. And thank you everyone that has been on the other side. Uh, Martin, any last words? Um, Arnie will kill me if we don't say that we, the people follow us on LinkedIn and things like that. Is that what, what yeah. Yes, all that good stuff. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, we're on all of them. Um, and check out our academy as well. So New 21 Academy is where the, the workshops and things happen. We, we've brought together like-minded people and we've shared with you some people that we really love to talk to and, and this is what we're about too. So if you want to talk to us further, then please reach out and we'd love to hear from you. Well, that marks the end of another New 21 podcast episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll join us next time when we interview another extraordinary change maker. To make sure you don't miss the episode, click the subscribe button now. And if you're interested in learning more about New 21 and perhaps reading some of our blogs on igniting change and transforming cultures, please check out our website at www.new21.com. That's N-E-U-2-1. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook. We look forward to seeing you next time.